Good evening. Let's take our Bibles out. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 11. Book of Exodus chapter 11. And before we begin our study tonight, just a couple of announcements. Um, We're going to be having a water baptism the last Sunday of this month, February 28th, from 5 to 7. It'll be at the Westside Rec Center. And so if you've never been baptized in water, um, as a believer in Christ Jesus, we invite you to do so. There's a, a place to sign up there at the information booth in the lobby, also an application to fill out. And I also want to invite the whole church to this event. We consider this one of the major fellowships um, of our church calendar, where the church gets together and celebrates baptism, and we all have a bunch of food together. It's a pot faith, or pot luck, if you know it better that way. I call it a pot faith. Bring your favorite dish to share, and, and just put that on the calendar. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. And then also, um, I'm very excited to announce that this year we're going to be having a Passover Seder dinner service here at the church. Um, We do this every two years, and uh, this is when we turn this sanctuary into sort of like a banquet hall. And uh, we all gather around the table. We go through a Passover Seder um, from a Messianic Christian perspective. Um, It's a wonderful evening. We all share a meal together, usually some brisket and uh, some catered food from Rudy's up the road. And uh, so I want to invite you all out for that. That's going to take place on Wednesday, March 23rd. That's the Wednesday before Easter Sunday. And I want to give you a heads up on that. We'll start selling tickets for that this Sunday. You're here Wednesday night. You get the inside track. You're the first one to find out. Um, The tickets are going to be $10 for an adult and uh, $5 for children um, 10 and under. And so I want to give you that advance warning because it's limited. 330 people, and we packed the place. And those tickets will go very, very quickly. It's something for the whole family. And so uh, you might think about bringing... Uh, money to purchase that this Sunday, and and, uh, we're very excited about that. And by the way, that's what we're going over tonight, the Passover in Exodus chapter 11. So are you all in Exodus chapter 11? Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you tonight that in your word you have made it absolutely clear what the way of salvation is. Lord, you have gone the extra mile to make it absolutely clear. The way of salvation, what you have done for us, what is required of us. Lord, you've even put pictures in your word, dramas, that make the way of salvation crystal clear. Lord, we rejoice as your people 
in your salvation tonight. And I would certainly pray, Lord, that if there be anyone here who has not tasted of that, tonight would be the night. Bless this time in your word, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Passover night is certainly a mountain peak in the scripture. It's one of the most important events in all of scripture. Let's read very carefully tonight what's transpired on that very important night. Look at verse 1 of Exodus chapter 11. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So one more plague. One more plague, and that's going to be the knockout punch. Pharaoh and Egypt have already endured nine plagues. We studied them last week. The Nile turning to blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the livestock, the boils, the hailstones, the locusts, and the darkness. God has already completely devastated the land of Egypt. God has already completely humiliated the gods of Egypt. But Pharaoh, after each one of those plagues, hardened his heart. He refused to let the people go. So there's going to be one more plague. And God tells Moses, he will let you go after this one. In fact, he's going to drive you out. He's going to compel you to go. And oh, by the way, on the way out, you're going to plunder the Egyptians. They're going to give you gold and silver, articles of clothing, as we read later. And by the way, that wasn't the Israelites stealing from the Egyptians. That was the Israelites being compensated from the Egyptians for the years of service as slaves. Now, you're going to see in the whole story, God is just. And justice is served. So, one more devastating plague. What was it? Verse 4. Then Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall 
die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the hand mill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So the tenth and final plague, at midnight, God will send the death angel throughout the land of Egypt, and every firstborn among the Egyptians will be killed. And there will be no exception among the Egyptians. The son of Pharaoh will be killed that night. And by the way, that would have been most significant because that's the son who's supposed to take over, become the next incarnate God. The firstborn of the lowliest slave in the land will be killed. Even the firstborn of all the animals killed on the night of Passover. And I draw your attention to verse 6. It says, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. The Hebrew word that's used to speak of this great cry is also used to speak of thunder. So imagine this this wailing and this grief. As in the middle of that night, the Egyptians discover that their firstborn has been killed. And the Lord tells Pharaoh that there will be a distinction. The Egyptians will face this plague, but the Israelites will be spared. There will be grief and wailing among the Egyptians. But among the Israelites, you won't even hear a dog bark. Moses tells Pharaoh in verse 8, And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. Moses says, when this night is over, your servants, Pharaoh, will find me and they will beg me to go out, to leave. Okay. This is a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough plague. Does it sound kind of cruel to you? All the firstborn in the land killed by the angel of the Lord. I want you to understand something tonight, and this is very important. Our God is a very, very serious God. Do you understand? The Bible says that he is holy. He is perfect. He's just. 
He's a God who sets things in order. He's a God who writes injustices. And justice is being served here. You might think this is kind of cruel, but I remind you, it was the Egyptians who murdered Hebrew babies. You remember that? It was this Pharaoh who had ordered that the Hebrews were to throw their male children in the Nile River. The Israelites, no doubt, lost hundreds, if not thousands, of male infants. Justice being served. Remember also that Pharaoh treated the Hebrew slaves in a barbaric way. He enslaved them. He overworked them. Many of the the men and women died at a young age. They were beaten. They were slaughtered, many of them. Justice was being served. Again, I mentioned that word in verse 6. Then there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt. You see that Hebrew word for great cry? The loud wailing like thunder? That is the same word that is used to describe the way the Israelites cried out to God. Do you remember when Moses stood before God at the burning bush? And the Lord said this to Moses, I have surely seen the repression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. God says, I've heard their cry, the same cry. The Israelites have been crying out in great distress for hundreds of years at the hands of the Egyptians. So now they'll cry. Justice is served. Very serious God. Now, having said that, Pharaoh was given plenty of opportunity, don't you think? Pharaoh was given so much opportunity to repent. Each one of those nine plagues was a wake-up call to Pharaoh. And every single time, after every one of those plagues, Pharaoh ignored. I even learned something new as I was studying for this. I looked back at when God had called Moses and was going to send Moses to Egypt. And God told Moses to give these words to Pharaoh, which he probably did very early on. The Lord had commanded Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Pharaoh, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. I believe very early on, the death of the firstborn was put right out there on the table. Pharaoh was warned. 
I believe he even had an opportunity after this plague was announced, if he would have gone to Moses before midnight of that Passover and said, you know what, I'm going to let your people go, I believe he would have been spared. But he did not. Pharaoh was a man who failed to take the judgment of God seriously. He ignored it. He hardened his heart. And after many, many of opportunities, the judgment of God fell. And you know, let me tell you, there are a lot of people just like Pharaoh. There are a lot of people walking around, perhaps even sitting here tonight, who are just like Pharaoh. They do not take the judgment of God Seriously, There are people who say, you know what, I'm better than the next guy. I don't have to worry. God wouldn't judge me. You know, I'll slip in. God really wouldn't judge anyone. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed for men to die once. And after that, the judgment. Now, don't play games with God. Don't play games with your eternity. It is absolutely essential that we know here tonight that we will escape the judgment of God. Well, the Israelites would escape that judgment, but they'd have to make preparations. Let's look and see what God required of them. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses where they eat it. So the preparations are very clear. The instructions are very clear. Each household was to select a lamb. One lamb per household. If a lamb was too much for one household, then two households, two neighbors could combine efforts. 
A lamb was chosen. This lamb had to be perfect without blemish. Did you catch that? No spot. No handicaps. The lamb had to be at least one year old. The lamb was selected and brought into each household where it would remain and be kept for five days until the 14th day. So I want you to think about this. This cute little lamb sort of moves in. Lives with the family almost like a pet. Can you imagine the kids getting all excited about this little lamb? And then five days later, on the 14th day, at twilight, the lambs were slaughtered. And it's extremely graphic. Their throats would have been cut. The blood would have spurted. The blood was caught in these basins you'll read later. And by the way, many Hebrew scholars and historians believe that the basins that the blood was caught in were actually used to hold water. Some of the basins may have even been built into the wall next to the front doors of the house. Normally used to hold water where you could wash your feet. The blood was caught in the basins. And then, as it says, they were to smear or paint or brush the door frames of their house, top, bottom frames, or side frames, with blood. And we find out later that they'll use a hyssop bunch. Now, the symbolism of this should be exploding in your minds at this point. More instructions. Verse 8. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So the instructions continue. The lamb is slaughtered. The blood is applied to the doors. They are to eat the lamb, consume it completely. The cooking instructions are given. It's not to be eaten raw. They were not to boil it. It was to be roasted on the fire, head, legs, entrails, and all. There were to be no leftovers for the Passover meal. Everybody ate, and then whatever what was remained was completely burned up on the fire. They were to eat the meal with unleavened bread. 
They were eat to the meal with bitter herbs. We also even find out later that in preparing the Passover lamb, they were to be very careful that they didn't break any of its bones. Interesting. The Lord says, here's your instructions. If you keep these instructions, here's what's going to take place. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will what? I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the blood on their houses is a sign. The death angel comes, sees the blood on their doors, passes over, literally in the Hebrew, leaps over, completely bypasses. So verse 21, skipping down to verse 21, says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin. That's the basin I was mentioning. Strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Better stay inside. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. End of verse 27. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So folks, was this all theory to them? Did they get these instructions and just think, well, okay. Nice to know. They followed through, didn't they? They carried out the instructions. They selected the lamb. The lamb was slaughtered. The blood was applied. They went in the house. They ate the lamb. And they were spared. Verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. 
For there was not a house where there was not one dead. When God warns, when God promises, he follows through. Don't take the judgment of God lightly. Let's turn down the lights for just a moment. I want to show a little clip. permission to go. Leave me!
That was a clip from uh, Prince of Egypt, which I think was done very well by Steven Spielberg. In fact, I would recommend watching that, getting that. Just trying to give you a sense of the feeling of what it must have been like on that night. And understand, Pharaoh and the Egyptians were given all the opportunity in the world. God in his grace reached out to them. They were shaking their fist at God. They were standing in the way of what God wanted to do with his people. God is very patient. God is very merciful. But that doesn't mean he won't judge. Verse 31, Exodus chapter 12. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we're going to all die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. Having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. And they asked from the Egyptian articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And that has been remembered. That event has been remembered by the Jewish people for the last 3,500 years. Passover night. The redemption of their nation. Incredibly significant event. And by the way, Extremely significant for us as Christians, isn't it? This is a picture of salvation. This is a drama that graphically depicts salvation. The Passover lamb, who does that represent? Jesus. I love that picture. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God throughout scripture. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, you remember what he said? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, John writes, I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. Paul the Apostle tells us outright, literally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For indeed Christ, our Passover, 
was sacrificed for us. Jesus is the lamb. And look at the details of the story. The lamb had to be perfect, right? Spotless, without blemish. So is it true with the lamb of God from heaven. Jesus was spotless. Jesus was absolutely perfect. There was no sin in him. The perfect, innocent, holy, righteous Lamb of God. I find it interesting that the Lamb that was chosen on the 10th day moved in with the family until the 14th day, sort of bonded with them. Jesus lived with and became bonded to the human family before he was sacrificed for them. When I learned about the basin and what it was originally used for, for the washing of feet, I couldn't help but think of what Jesus did on the last night. Do you remember what he did in the upper room, how he washed the feet of his disciples? Jesus, the Passover lamb. We also see that the lamb had to be sacrificed. The Passover lamb was sacrificed. He was slaughtered. The blood of the lamb was applied to the door posts. Jesus, the lamb of God, also had to be sacrificed, didn't he? Jesus was slaughtered. Jesus was killed. The blood of Jesus was spilled. You know, as I look at that picture, that kind of reminds me of a cross. Doesn't it have you almost the sign of the cross, right? I mean, what a picture. Doesn't that remind you of an old, rugged cross, bloodstained? It points to the crucifixion. John chapter 19, verse 29 points out when Jesus was offered sour wine to drink on the cross, the sponge that was soaked with it was put on a bunch of, you guess it, hyssop. It all points to Christ and his sacrifice. And then how about the timing of the crucifixion of Jesus? When was he crucified? Right at Passover. The Lamb of God from heaven was sacrificed right at the time when thousands of those little Passover lambs were being sacrificed. Right here in Exodus chapter 12, the second book of the Bible, we find the gospel. The Lamb of God and his sacrifice. What else do we find out from this story? Listen carefully. The blood of the Lamb was the means 
of salvation. The shed blood of the Lamb was the reason they were rescued. It was the reason that their firstborn were not killed. It was the reason, ultimately, when they'd be freed from Egypt. Out of the clutches of the enemy. That blood on the door was the mark. When the destroying angel of the Lord came to a house and saw it marked with the blood of the Lamb, that angel would say, somebody has already died in this house. The penalty has been executed here. Therefore, I can pass over this house. I can leap over this house. No need to judge this house. The angel approached the house that was not marked with the blood. The angel would say, the house is under judgment. The penalty has not been executed here. Therefore, judgment must come to this house. The firstborn must die. Listen to something very, very important, folks. Death came to every single home in Egypt that night. Either the death of the firstborn or the death of the lamb. If you have the blood of the lamb marked on your house, you were spared. And the same is absolutely true with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The only way to avoid judgment is if you're marked with the blood of Christ. It's the shed blood of Christ. Now, I know a lot of Christians that don't like to talk about blood. People are even offended by the blood of Christ. Oh, don't talk about the blood of Christ. You're going to gross people out. It's by the blood that we get saved. Why would you leave that out? Romans chapter 5. Having been justified by his blood. Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood. Hebrews 13. Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. 1 Peter chapter 1, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the message of the gospel. If you want to be saved, if you want to be spared the judgment, then the blood of Christ must be marked upon you. And why is that so? Why is that true? Brothers and sisters in Christ, why is that true? This story illustrates the very picture of substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement, the death of an innocent one in place of guilty ones. 
those little lambs that were slaughtered on that Passover night. Innocent. Slaughtered and killed in place of the firstborn, right? Same thing with the Christian faith, folks. It's the same thing with your salvation. A life for a life. The Bible is so very clear. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short from the glory of God. Our sin separates us from God who is holy. Our sin demands death. Judgment. God's wrath. And we're all in that boat. But God sent the lamb. The perfect substitute for the human being. God became man. Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. At the cross, it wasn't like Jesus got caught. Oops, they got me. No, at the cross, Jesus allowed himself to get caught. The scripture is clear. He offered himself. He went to the cross. The scripture says our sin was placed upon him. He died in our place. Just as the lamb in the Passover meal had to be roasted in the fire... Jesus in his death was touched by the fire of God's wrath. Just as they were required to eat those bitter herbs, so Jesus in his death drank the bitter cup of judgment for me and for you. So our sins were placed upon him. He died in our place. Then on the third day he rose again. And he's alive. And the scripture is very clear. Listen. You put your faith in Christ. There's a transaction that takes place. That substitutionary work of Christ on the cross takes effect in your life. See, that's the other part we see about the story of Passover. It had to be personally applied, didn't it? The blood had to be personally applied. Each house had to take the time to apply the blood. Each house had to consume that whole lamb. If there would have been an Israelite family that said, nope, not going to apply the blood... They would have been judged. How about this? If there was an Egyptian family that would have applied the blood. They would have been spared. And so it's true with the Christian faith, my friend. The blood of Christ has been shed. But it doesn't get applied to you automatically. You have to want it. You have to consume the lamb. 
You have to receive the lamb. And my friends, the Christian faith, the scripture clearly teaches that that is done by faith. It's done by faith. It's where, it's where you decide for yourself. You, you come before the Lord one day and you admit, you, yourself, I'm a sinner. I need to have my sins forgiven. And you bow before the Lord. You humble yourself. And you say, Christ, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Wash me with your blood. Mark me with your blood. Be mine. The scripture says if you do that, if you are marked in the blood of Christ, the judgment of God has passed over you because it rested on the Lamb. Could it be any clearer? Listen, you are not going to get to heaven. You are not going to get saved because you're better than the next person. God demands perfection. Anybody here perfect? If you raise your hand, I'll call you a liar. (laughs) How about being religious? Oh, I'm I'm going to get to heaven because I've gone to church a whole lot of times. I followed some religious rites. I've jumped through the religious hoops. If you are resting on that, you are still under the wrath of God. Religion doesn't save, the blood of Christ saves. And you need to have Christ be your personal Lord and Savior. You need to have his blood applied to you. Have you done that? Is there anyone here tonight who's been depending on something else? Please see. See the truth of God's word. See the truth. I want to close tonight with a progression. I want you to see a very, very important progression in the opening verses of chapter 12 again. Would you look back there for just a moment? I think this is so important. Look at verse 2. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb. Notice how the lamb is mentioned there in verse 3. A lamb. You see that? Very general. A lamb. Look how that lamb is mentioned in verse 4. And if the household is too small for what? The lamb. Let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for what? The lamb. So we go from a lamb to the lamb. You see that? 
And then look in verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Folks, that is the progression that you need to, fall, you need to go through that with Jesus. Is Jesus just a lamb to you? Just a prophet? Just one of those awesome spiritual leaders out there? Numbered with all the other prophets. One of many lambs. No, he's way different. He needs to become to you the lamb. From a lamb to the lamb. The one who can save you of your sins. But is it enough for you to just have intellectual knowledge of the lamb? Is it enough for you to say, yep, I believe Jesus is the lamb. I believe he's the way. Intellectually, I think he did it. No, that's not enough. Because you see, he has to become your lamb. That means you act on it. You act by faith. You receive him. From a lamb to the lamb to your lamb. Has that happened in your life? If you're a Christian here tonight, I have discovered something. There are many Christians who are true, born-again, genuine Christians, and, and they've received Christ, but a lot of them don't have this knowledge. There's a lot of Christians who forget what it really cost. What is at stake here? What Christ did for you? The whole concept of substitutionary atonement. Rejoice in your salvation tonight. Amen? Think of what Christ has done for you. Then there might be some here tonight and you need to receive the Lamb. I'd like you to have that opportunity to do so right now. Let's close with a word of prayer. I'd like you to stay very, very quiet. Limit your moving. And I, I really want you to think about where you are with God. My friend. Have you been trusting in a religion? Have you spent your whole life of the opinion that, well, you know, I'm good enough, I'll make it, it'll be all right, I'll do a few good works with my life? I'll be a faithful church attender? I'll try harder than the next guy. Do you understand that that doesn't make it? You could never be good enough. The only way to be saved is to come before God and admit that you're not good enough. To admit that you're a sinner and to cry out for salvation. To ask the Lord Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior.
to ask him to apply that shed blood to your life to wash away all your sins. And I want you to have an opportunity to do that right now. If you've never done that, right now. Maybe you just pray a prayer just like this. You just ask Christ. Just say, Lord Jesus, mark me with your shed blood. I confess to you tonight, Lord, that I am not perfect. I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I cry out to you for salvation. Thank you for taking my sin upon you, dying in my place, for being the substitution for me. Thank you for rising again. I receive you right now into my life. Take my life. Change my life. Wash all those sins away. And then, Lord, my prayer for all of us gathered here tonight is that we would remember these important truths. And we would remember the stakes. That we would remember the sacrifice. That we would remember the grace. Lord, that we would remember that you miraculously have made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins and still be just. It's amazing, Lord, what you've done. And Lord, may these truths continue to transform our lives day by day and serve as the motivation for the reason we live. Why we do what we do. And Lord, as your people, I pray that we would proclaim these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand.